And I think that's the strong point of the structure and style approach is, now here's all this stuff, now use it. Here's how to use it. Here's ways to use it. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, episode 230. Oh, that means? It's Ask Andrew Anything. Okay. Even if they don't, even if they think you know the answer to the question and you don't. Well, here's one. Here's the very okay, first one. Okay, stump me. All right. Amelia asks, what color is the blue on the walls in the classroom for the new Structure and Style for Students videos? That's easy. Blue. <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is it, like a royal blue or a... I mean, you picked the paint. Yes, and um, the funny thing is, is we have a leftover can of paint in the storage shed uh-huh. to do any tough chips that we need to, but we wiped over the top the paint color. Oh, so you can't. So we can't really say uh-huh. what that color is, but we eventually will find that out because, well, you know, our guy will take the paint chip back to where we bought it, uh-huh. and they'll do their little magic wand thing. Well, obviously, Amelia likes. Our color of blue. I think so. Otherwise, she wouldn't have asked. I think so. But I will tell you, Amelia, that even if we tell you the actual color that you will then be able to buy at Lowe's, because that's where we got it, it will not be the exact same color that you see on the video because we do color correction. So it's a little bit different. But I do this thing at the end of every video where um, this is primarily for the classroom teachers where I ask you questions. And then the classroom teachers get some more insight of how to teach this. We This has not been released yet. Mm-hmm. We are not exactly and sure. And that, that's not going to have color correction. Well, it's not that. It's oh. just when I'm, when I'm talking with you, I'm just always amazed because you're pretty close to that blue, how that blue is the exact same color as your eyes. I'm usually distracted by you, that. You've said that before. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. It's a good color. All yes. right. Yes. So there. There's your answer. But people could see that color of blue on the Facebook Live that we've done. True. And that's not color correction. This is true. Maybe Facebook corrected. (laughs) Maybe Facebook did, yes. YouTube corrected. (laughs) All right, what's next? Okay. Does your teaching writing structure and style help with any other writing curriculum or just yours? Oh, sure. I have long uh, realized that if, if a teacher or a parent or tutor took our course, right? Uh, They are receiving a very comprehensive approach to teaching writing, but they also are receiving pieces of that which could be, in a circumstance and necessity, applied to someone else's assignments. Mm -hmm. So if you got an assignment from a different syllabus or a different teacher, different writing curriculum, you might say, okay, it says do a certain number of paragraphs. Okay, now let's look at which IEW models would fit 
you know, is it one or two or three or four or five or more? Uh, of course, a lot of writing uh, curriculums will use the kind of good suggestions approach. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was just reviewing a book yesterday mm. that was packed with really good suggestions for essentially style to mm -hmm. make your writing more, a little more sophisticated, a little more, quote, colorful. Mm -hmm. The problem, of course, is who really uses those good suggestions? Well, the high talent kids who are like, I want to do this. Who's going to kind of ignore them and say, well, I really don't care? The ones you want the most. Mm -hmm. So this idea of making a very concrete checklist and using the easy plus one method that we teach. And these are not suggestions. These are a mandate. Right. It's, it's the you do these things, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, but we don't overwhelm you. Mm -hmm. Here's two things. You have to do them. When that's easy, here's three things. You have to do them. Here's four things. You have to do them. I've had people, you know, explain that they were able to apply that easy plus one principle outside of just composition, mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of a Suzuki method for right. music. I've heard art teachers say, hey, that works, you mm -hmm. know, in my teaching of mm -hmm. painting or whatever. I've even had math teachers. I've even had math teachers say, well, a keyword outline helped my kids do uh, word problems. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think there are many, many things that can be gleaned from the teaching, writing, structure, and style mm -hmm. uh, course and then applied in a wide range of areas. We, of course, think that when you do it consistently in the path that we have laid out, you get the best possible result. Right. But not everyone can. Right. You know, sometimes there are constrictions or desires to, you know, pursue something because it looks really good or useful. Mm -hmm. But can we get the best of both worlds? And I would say yes, of mm -hmm. course. Good. Okay, this is something that will kind of go right with that question. What is the difference between the theme-based courses and the structure and style for student classes? Do they cover the same thing? Well, we teach pretty much the same thing to everyone, mm -hmm. um, regardless of age or experience. Mm -hmm. I often will say to people trying to explain it, I teach the same thing to children in third grade as I would to students in graduate school. Mm -hmm. What differs is the reading level of the source material, which means the sophistication of the ideas, mm -hmm. and the speed of introducing the new things on the checklist. Mm -hmm. So with younger children, source text at or below reading level, checklist very slow, easy plus one, mm -hmm. may take you a year to get through three or four dress-ups and, mm -hmm. and have it be easy. Whereas, you know, I would go through the same process with high school students, but I would use things at or below their reading level and introduce the stylistic techniques much faster. Mm -hmm. So everything we do follows the same path, but the difference between the theme-based books is that they're really designed for um, a teacher, a tutor, to use that lesson, right? Maybe stretch it over a week, depending if it's a if it's a one day a week class, then mm -hmm. you do the source, read the source text, talk about it, preview some of the vocabulary, make the outline if possible, and then you run out of time. Mm -hmm. Kids go home and do it. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it at home, you can do 20 minutes a day, mm -hmm. half an hour a day, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. the uh, The new course is requiring less teacher preparation, mm -hmm. less teacher direct instruction, because of course that's the whole thing is 
I'm doing that. So I have prepared to read the source text and talk about aspects and make the outline with the kids on the board. Mm -hmm. And so they can just copy it over. So it is, I think, you know, going to be ideal for people who are either um, busy or teaching multiple levels of kids or um, would like something that's just going to be very consistent. Mm -hmm. So week after week, it's going to be, you know, they will, the kids will have an expectation of what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and it will meet that expectation, and it will gradually increase uh, both in the sophistication of source text and therefore length of compositions and then the style techniques. Yep. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like, do you want to do more of it yourself because mm-hmm. you love teaching and you want to get in the nitty-gritty and mm-hmm. make that happen? Uh, or would you like to have a kind of more here it's ready to go and you can just experience it and the kids will have a good experience right. with that. So the theme-based books and the structure and style for students, they both have source texts as appropriate. Mm-hmm. They both have checklists. They both have some uh, practice activities practice to activities, yes. acclimate the student toward the style techniques. Right. The biggest difference is on the video, the structure and style for students, there's a video that goes with it of you teaching, which makes it super easy for the teachers. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, as we look historically at kids who've used the student writing intensive mm-hmm. or the continuation course, one thing that the viewers of that mm-hmm. really have enjoyed is that feeling of being in mm-hmm. the in the group, part of the class. Yep. I've even had parents come up to me and say, you know, my my child sitting in the living room watching the TV raises his hand, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, because he wants to participate. So I think there is an engagement level with the video that you may or may not be able to reconstruct with the theme-based books. Right. And the other thing I wanted to mention, when we say theme-based, it's, there's a theme. It's fables, myths, and fairy tales. There's stories that are Periods of history. Right. The history-based writing lessons. It's ancient history. Whereas the structure and style for students, there's a little bit more smattering, although we called it a thread. There's a thread through them of the year one level A was of deserts. Deserts, yeah. And year one level B was Oceania and New Guinea and kind of that part of the world. And, of course, year one level C was Pirates. Pirates. Yes, yes we've that got a pirate theme. But but very loose. Very, yes, very loose. loose. And we did you know, I think we had a lot of fun mm-hmm. finding things that would be interesting, mm-hmm. engaging. Mm-hmm. And and you and I know we have always tried to err on the side of being boy friendly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, a dangerous animal or a slightly disgusting thing mm-hmm. or a very dramatic mm-hmm. rescue, you know, that type of thing mm-hmm. that would catch their imagination as well. Yep, yep. So there's a, probably more than what you were asking for, Danielle, but there you go. There's the, the difference. Okay, so Elizabeth asks, this is a technical keyword outline question. You ready? Mm-hmm. When working on an outline, does a name count as one word or does the first name count as one and the last name count as one? Elizabeth asked this question? Yes. Well, I would suggest that a teacher could make this decision. Mm -hmm. I have actually relaxed over the years. When possible, I recommend maybe an initial for the first name and then the last name because first names are easier to remember. Last names are often harder to spell. But I'm not opposed to a proper noun Mm -hmm. 
that has two, or perhaps even three words, being considered one word. Uh, that gives you know security to kids. Mostly kids are going to worry, what if I forget it? Well, that's not a huge worry because there's no rule that says you can't go back and read the original source text again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't go look at it again. That's perfectly okay. But, but they have that little anxiety. But what if I forget? What if I forget? Mm-hmm. So uh, I find that this question kind of fades, mm-hmm. you know, as people get used to doing it. The kids get more used to using initials, which are free. And then if there's a proper noun where you absolutely need both words, um, okay, go ahead and don't stress over, you know, don't, don't be legalistic mm-hmm. about it. Good. Aubrey asks, can you give us an example of how you have applied structure and style in your own recent business or personal interactions? Oh, gosh, I think I do that frequently, but it's such a habit I don't anymore. You just used an L-Y right there with frequently. <laughs> well, uh, in our um, Facebook Live not long ago, yes, our cooking show. I uh-huh. explained my breakfast, mm-hmm. and I tried to do approximately one paragraph's worth of sentences using all the dress-ups and openers and a topic clincher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I got a decoration in there or not, uh, but that was kind of spur of the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, what I've noticed is when you work personally mm-hmm. with the checklist for a while, you know, for some people that's months, for other people mm-hmm. maybe a couple of years, you do gain the ability to kind of just switch it on, mm-hmm. right? So I can turn on and I can pretty much write something out uh, and use the whole checklist without a lot of work. I can also just switch off and not worry about it. Although it is often where I will write something quickly and then say, oh, I just started four sentences in a row with the word I. Bet I could fix that, you know. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. People write to me and they'll say, it makes me really nervous writing to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll write back and say, it makes me nervous being me. <laughs> right. You know, I have to sign my name, director, excellence in writing. Exactly. But I, I guess probably the the biggest thing would be the habit of separating the complexity of what to write and then the writing of it. I wouldn't say I make an outline for everything I write, but certainly, and many kids find themselves, you know, after three or four years of working with keyword outlines, they find themselves making mental outlines before they write the first sentence. Right. And that is an intellectual habit that I think is one of the greatest benefits of growing up mm-hmm. using the structure and style approach is mm-hmm. that think and then speak or mm-hmm. think and then write. And I know it's valuable for me because when I was a little kid, my father used to say, Andy, think before you speak. (laughs) Any number of times. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so Evelyn asks, in the introduction, I find it hard to teach students how to include background information without giving away too much. What are your suggestions? I'm assuming she's talking about perhaps a unit seven, eight, or nine, right? Because that's when you do the introduction. Definitely unit seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably the most important thing would be to follow the guidelines, write the essay from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So what happens to a lot of kids is they, they may or may not have a good outline, but that what they want to do is start with the first sentence and just write the whole thing mm-hmm. and be done with it. And so they're not aware of necessarily 
what they're planning to say or hoping to say. Mm. And then it's very possible that they could kind of run out of information and end up repeating. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's one of the criticisms of the multi-paragraph essay Mm -hmm. model is that it could be redundant. Well, yeah, if you say the same thing two or three times, it's going to seem redundant. Repetition is not bad if it's strategic and purposeful. Mm -hmm. But when you say the same thing in the same way, it's like, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I have found is that if students write the body paragraphs first, then they know what they have said. They know what they're going to have said, future perfect tense there. Uh, And In knowing that, they can then choose different things to put into the introduction. Another reason this question can come up is that in some of our materials, and I'm thinking the level A or B theme-based writing lesson books, we do give uh, source texts. Mm -hmm. And the source texts, by necessity, are short. And you almost have to use everything in those things to get your body paragraphs, and then there's nothing new or Mm. left over Mm. to put in the introduction. So what I would say is if if you have the body paragraphs written and you're not sure if there's anything left over, why not go and get some more information? Go check an online encyclopedia. Go check... Uh, you know, a book about that subject or mm-hmm. that website. I'll give you a, a typical thing that kids would write about is a person. Okay. Right? So you're doing a unit eight, five or six paragraph essay on a person. So you've got three body paragraphs. Those paragraphs have topics, mm-hmm. right? So one of those topics could be early life. Another topic could be, you know, military. Another topic could be political or one could be teaching career. Another could be scientific discoveries, right? Well, there's all sorts of miscellaneous things about where that person was born, when they were born, you know, did they have siblings, school, family life. If it's not a topic, that could be part of the background information. So really you're asking the question, is there anything more that might help me understand this better, Mm -hmm. creating context? And that's what we put, time, background, right? Time, place, context. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would also say that, you know, in teaching this, the very best way to understand how to teach it is to wrestle with it yourself a little bit. (gasps) They have to do the (laughs) writing assignment, Andrew? By doing, you know, the assignment you're going to give to those students Mm -hmm. before you give it to them. Right. Or something very similar to that. Right. So, yes, it it can be a challenge. In fact, it is one of the challenges of the five or more paragraph mm-hmm. model mm-hmm. is how do you bring in appropriate mm-hmm. background information that is interesting, applicable, not redundant. And the, the best things I can think of, number one, are write the body paragraphs first, then you know. I'm not going to say any of that stuff again. I'm going to say something else. You'll you'll touch on it in the introduction because you have to introduce well the, the topics, topic. yeah. Yes. But in terms of the the background, background information, right. yeah, got it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if you need to, just go get some more information mm-hmm. about that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds great. And and as you were talking about the answer to this question, I'm reminded of what you say about having the paragraphs 
of approximately equal length. And so if your introduction only has to have an attention-getting device, give some background information, and introduce the topics, and yet it has to be as meaty as one of those middle topic paragraphs, you're going to need a little bit more background information than what's not mentioned in your topic paragraphs. Probably so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, attention-getting device can be anything from a very short sentence Mm -hmm. To a whole little, you know, multi-sentence anecdote. Okay, right. So there's quite a range of option mm-hmm. in terms of that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, I very often will suggest to teachers, pull the samples. Mm-hmm. So from the TWSS, mm-hmm. we have Unit 8 samples. Mm-hmm. In the Magnum Opus, uh, we have samples of all the different units. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've chosen these to be good examples. In fact, in the theme-based books... Some of them we have exemplars. Yes. So use those to show the students, mm-hmm. right, what does an introduction look like and analyze a little bit together. Uh, hopefully you've got the time to do this. Right. It's one thing to hear an explanation, but it's a, a better thing to see multiple examples of that thing. Yep. Yep. What's the old adage, don't tell? show. Right. And that's why, and that's Webster, basically, that's all he ever does is just read examples and talk about them and say, do you see this? Do you see that? Here's an example of this. Now go do it. Well, and one of the, one of the things that you do in the Structure and Style for Student video courses, I think at every level, is you provide an example for the students that what you wrote. Some of them I had to write myself. You did, indeed. (laughs) And then the students had the uh, responsibility of making sure you had all the dress-ups and all the sentence openers as appropriate for the checklist yeah. at that we level. Didn't, we didn't do that for every lesson, no. but no, of course many not. of them. Yeah. No, yeah, it was very fun. Okay, another question here. Madeline asks, my son is upset about something he experienced in a retail store. In fact, he wrote a very well-worded and elegant letter to complain <laughs> and kindly provide suggestions on the issue. Have you ever written a complaint letter to a store or restaurant? <laughs> Have you been it. like her son, who is an exep- exceptional model um, for you to imitate? No, personally, I have not. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of ambivalent about things. I don't get upset too mm-hmm. easily. If mm-hmm. I go somewhere and I don't like it, I just never go back. <laughs> um, but I, it does remind me, uh, on a few occasions, I have given students an assignment Mm -hmm. to write a letter. And sometimes they go, well, what should I write about? Mm -hmm. And then the thing would be, well, find something to praise, Mm -hmm. you know, something you like and commend that, praise Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And if there's something you don't like, then communicate that kind of, kind of the the classical rhetoric, you know, encomium, invective, Mm -hmm. or sometimes called vituperation. But, you know, in, in a way, it just gives you something to say. So, uh, I do know that a couple of my students have written letters criticizing certain elements of, I believe, restaurant, which I thought was well mm-hmm. done. And, you know, in a way, criticizing something is a step in being able to think mm-hmm. a bit analytically mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say critical thinking, mm-hmm. not in that we want to just be negative all mm-hmm. the time, right. but that we want to be able to make judgments. I will admit, however, that there have been a couple times where I walked into a men's warehouse mm-hmm. and I said to the manager, if you will turn off the music while I'm here, 
I will probably spend $1,000 because I only go shopping every five years. But I can't stay here mm-hmm. with the music as it is. And then they're like, okay, fine. We'll <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> so sometimes I've been, um, I've, uh, I, I've been critical of that mm-hmm. aspect of mm-hmm. a store, but never so far as to write a letter. Sorry. <laughs> so Jennifer has a question about Unit 3. Okay. I almost want to make you guess this one because I bet this is one of the most frequently asked Unit 3 questions. She says, in Unit 3, I have always found it confusing to list all the characters in the story under characters and setting in the keyword outline. When we go to write the first paragraph, sometimes including a character that only shows up later in the story is challenging. Is it okay to only mention that character in the conflict or problem or climax resolution sections? Or is it good to try to mention all the characters in the first paragraph? Um, You can do whatever you want. The answer is it is okay to not mention all the characters. In fact, nowhere ever in the story sequence chart in Unit 3 Lessons or anywhere do we say characters, all of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You just need at least one to start doing something. Uh, So, you know, I think a a good example of this is when you have a character that is coming in later. Mm -hmm. And if you bring that character in too soon, it's very awkward. Now, you'll notice some writers can do this and they'll have like a few chapters about one character. Dickens does this all the time. He'll have a few chapters about one character. And then there'll be a few chapters about a different character in a different place. And there's absolutely no connection between these two. And you are kind of confused. Mm -hmm. But then down line, these characters meet. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, the conflicts and Mm -hmm. the issues that happen. And then that backstory comes into being. Mm -hmm. So, you know, an expansion of the story sequence chart, Mm -hmm. for example would be the Bat and the Nightingale. Hmm. If you wanted to write a longer story, you could have one whole thing about, you know, the Nightingale and singing for the emperor and gradually becoming egotistical. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, essentially poisoning her soul. Mm -hmm. And then a whole nother paragraph just about this bat. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't even have to have them meet until the third paragraph Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you wanted to, say, do a five or six or seven paragraph version of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, the answer to her question is, if you just start with any one character, then somebody can do something and the story goes. Right. And they can bring in another character and and that's fine. Right. Well, and I think about Aesop's fable, uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Right. The villagers. Yeah. You don't see the villagers in the first. Or the hare and the tortoise and there's a judge. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. the judge doesn't necessarily come in until after the hare and the tortoise, you know, finish bantering. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Very helpful. All right. All right. I have two more questions. Let's see if we can squeeze in two more. We don't have time. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Uh, Dainish asks, I'm a 25-year-old non-native English speaker from India. Wonderful. Do you have a course for me? Could I join the online high school class? Um, The answer, of course, is yes. Mm -hmm. I think that any adult who wanted to improve his or her writing could join our level C classes, either the SSS video Mm -hmm. or, you know, the benefit of the online class would be getting the individualized feedback from Mm -hmm. the teachers. And we never ask the students to 
tell them how old you are. We we don't have an age no. <laughs> limit or age restriction. We say it's for high school, but and clearly we have any number mm-hmm. of people, adults, for whom English is a second language. Yes, or sometimes even a third, mm-hmm. uh, who have done the teaching writing structure and style course mm-hmm. and been able to kind of see applications for a lot of the grammar knowledge mm-hmm. that they have. Oftentimes, people who learn English as a second language, they they know more analytical grammar than people who grew up speaking English. Yes, yes. Uh, I experienced that in Japan. These Japanese kids had 10 years of English mm-hmm. in school and knew all the English grammar actually better than I did, only they didn't have the facility to put it all together, mm-hmm. either spoken or written mm-hmm. fluently. And I think that's the strong point of the structure and style approach is now here's all this stuff. Now use it. Mm-hmm. Here's how to use it. Here's exactly. ways to use it. So there's a plus there uh, as well. And, of course, we've got you know ESL, ELL people mm-hmm. all over the world using the structure and style in their classes for everything from adults down to elementary. Right. Good. There you go, Denise. Come and join us for an online class or get the Teaching Writing Structure and Style video course for teachers. I think you'll really benefit from that. All right, last question. This is from Kimberly. She asks, what is the most valuable thing for a writing student to know, and why is that the most valuable? It sounds like this is a Unit 7 most (laughs) something and why. Yeah, conclusion to a Unit 7. Well... I think we already touched on it, Mm -hmm. and it is, I would look at it as the most formative of the habits that we teach, Mm. and that is the separation of complexity. Mm -hmm. If you get the habit of separating the what to write, then you can attend to the how to write it. And right there, it removes a lot of stress. Uh, it reminds me of little Jack in the SSS promo video, right. and someone asks him, and he's, what, 10 years old? Mm-hmm. Someone asks him, you know, what did you learn? And he goes, I think the most important thing is outlines, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And and here's a child who just experienced going from that, I'm trying to think of stuff and figure out how to say it and then remember how to spell words and which ones get capitals and, and put periods so I don't get yelled at and, you know, overwhelm. Yeah, and just just to clarify, he was ten when the question was asked of him, but he was eight when he started the course. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's true. To okay, now I know. If I make an outline, everything else goes better. Yes, everything else is smoother. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would guess, you know, if we were to look at lots of students who kind of came through two or three or even five or six years of IW, and then went off into mm-hmm. say a university or a work situation, if they were to reflect back, they would probably list that mm-hmm. as one of the most valuable things yep. because it affects your just the way you think of stuff. Well, lots of great questions, listeners. Please feel free to keep them coming. Email us at podcast at IEW.com. I, I have a question for you. <gasps> you have a question for me. What is the color of blue in this room? Navy blue. Is it navy? Yep. I'm unquestionably navy blue. Okay. There you go. All right. <laughs> I just, you know. Yes. Well, this is our soundproof podcast studio. So, in fact, you know how soundproof this room is? 
I left my phone here and could not find it because I was calling it and I couldn't hear it ring. <laughs> remember that. Yeah, yeah. So, oh well. Anyway, thanks for listeners for all your questions. Please continue to give them in and we'll hit them up in episode 240. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>